Hello, and welcome to the Modern Retail Rundown. I'm your host, senior reporter, Gabby Barco, and I'm here with editor-in-chief, Kale Guthrie-Weissman. Good morning, Kale. How's it going, Gabby? It's going great. We have, as usual, so many topics to delve through. It's been a busy week in retail, but, you know, what else is new? I feel like we repeat ourselves every week. Yeah, never a dull moment, although sometimes we talk about the same companies, so... But we're going to shake it up, I promise. We will, we will. Um, okay, great. Well, uh, this week we are going to be doing uh, an update into Shopify's new focus on e-commerce, which is obviously it's bread and butter. So they're going back to basics. And then we'll be doing a check-in on 15-minute delivery apps. Remember those. And finally, Peloton is going all in on digital fitness and kind of scaling back on hardware or so it seems. So yeah, first up, why don't we talk about Shopify regrouping, Kale? Uh, what are your thoughts here? A lot going on. All right. So first, there's a bunch of news that was all jam-packed into press releases and earnings. So the big ones that everyone's talking about is that um, Shopify um, is selling off its uh, logistics business. And so um, it's selling off, it sold it to Flexport, which is a really big logistics company. Um, and then it also, and I need to double check this, there it is. Uh, it's also sold off one of its other businesses to Ocado, which is the UK-based grocery delivery company. Um, so so just, uh, so Deliver, which is the sort of last mile delivery service. That's to Flexport, Six River Systems. Another logistics company went to Ocado. Anyway, it's a pretty big piece of news, if you ask me, because it just shows that Shopify uh, no longer wants to be in that business. Um, and with this came, unsurprisingly, layoffs. So Shopify uh, is laying off 20% of its workforce as a result of this. And is pretty much, as you said in the intro, going back to basics. It's focusing on the thing that it does really well, which is being an e-commerce platform, working with brands and merchants and everyone like that to facilitate uh, those types of sales. And it, it says it doesn't really want to get into the business of actually shipping items. Right. And the whole reason that they started doing that is because, you know, 2021, I feel like was the peak of everybody wanting to invest, quote unquote, in supply chain and logistics and freight because, you know, business was good and everybody was ordering things. But uh, we're seeing now a trend of uh, companies offloading those uh, those acquisitions. That's true. And I mean, Shopify was doing this a little bit before. It first unveiled its Shopify Fulfillment Network in, I believe, 2019. Um, and there was much fanfare associated with it when they made the announcement, but there was there were very few details. And so it was, what does it mean that you're, you have a fulfillment network? And what I learned over the many months and years I tried to get details was it had very few companies that were beta testing it. I think it had maybe a couple or a few more fulfillment centers that it was working with. And it was just figuring out how Shopify as a business could get into the fulfillment and logistics business. Um, and that it made updates via acquisitions over the last few years, like what you're referring to, you know, with Deliver and uh, and uh, Six Rivers. But one of the things, and we have a story that, that came out late, late this week, is that Shopify never had a clear like thesis about how it was going to approach this business. So it often called itself a 4PL, which is, you know, in uh, contrast to a 3PL. So instead of it owning the warehouses and, you know, 
doing all of that, it wanted to be the facilitator of working with 3PLs and the brands to help facilitate that. So to sort of be the tech layer that facilitates it. And from what it seems, this never really worked. And it maybe on paper, it seems like it's not capital intensive if you don't own warehouses to be in the logistics system. But it actually is. It's a really, really difficult business to thrive in. And Shopify clearly never figured out the economics. Right. And uh, I do think the number, uh, just the figure of how big that this part of the business was, uh, it's 13% in uh, stock that they sold off. That's that's not yeah. nothing. It's a pretty substantial number. So does that reflect, um, I guess, would you say, just how deep Shopify tried to go into this area? I mean, yes, in the, in the sense that like if you're selling off more than five or ten percent of your company in stock, that means it represented a good chunk. But also, from what I understand, this experiment, and it was always referred to kind of as an experiment, never really went that far. And the merchants that I knew who tested it out never had the best of experience with it. Um, and so I think it represented something that Shopify really wanted to get serious with and made a lot of investments in. And then it reached a point, and probably because of where we are right now economically, Shopify reached a point where it said, uh, "I can't, we, I can't, I can't go further with this because it isn't, it isn't making sex, sense economically for the business, and so we have to offload it." So I think yes, they invested a lot of money in it. It clearly was a big ambition, but they also never seemed to take it as seriously as if it were a, just a pure logistics company would because it had so many other irons in the fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think irons in the fire is a great way to put it because um, as the CEO put it, it's uh, this was a side quest, which I think is yes. kind of interesting to say in hindsight, um, whereas, you know, building e-commerce tools uh, and now for even bigger companies than just, you know, D2C brands or small businesses, uh, is there main quest. So do you want to maybe uh, just expand on that a little bit, I guess? Sure. I mean, I, I think the side quest is exactly right. And it also shows how Shopify spent a lot of money, but maybe didn't take it as seriously as they should. I've always wondered, I wish I could be a fly in the wall at the team meetings. Who, who, you, what, who was it that really wanted this part of the business to be big? Who ultimately said no? What what were the disagreements or conversations like? I imagine they were very heated um, because you really need to go all in to be a fulfillment and logistics leader. And if you're from the top down looking at it as a side quest, it probably isn't destined to be as successful as it could be. But I also, there, I was talking with someone last night um, and they said something interesting that is obvious, but also I think really helpful in contextualizing where Shopify needs to invest, which is there are some things, um, th some other quote unquote side quests with Shopify that are doing quite well and have much better margins. And so like uh, Shopify's payments and fintech tools um, are doing quite well. ShopPay is one of the the biggest payments, uh, you know, one no click, one click payments apps out there. I think its app is continues to grow, um, and these are all much lower lift and easier to get people to sign on to than it is for an entire fulfillment network. There are things like Shopify Capital. It seems like what Shopify has figured out is that there are these other quote unquote side quests that they can add as a complementary part of the e-commerce business that require a little less investment and can have a better chance of becoming ubiquitous. Um, and I think the payments and financial side of things 
is probably where Shopify sees the most area of growth. Um, and from what I've talked with the merchants and other people, it seems like they see that as a very successful part of the business and what will probably help grow it beyond its, you know, just baseline e-commerce platform. Right. And uh, I think one other sort of throwaway comment uh, in the release or blog post, whatever this came from, um, was that uh, there's going to be now, uh, like everybody else, a sort of a AI tools, focused tools, I guess, uh, taking precedence. And, um, you know, I think especially with this focus on software that makes a lot of sense. That's kind of where things are going, um, especially with other tech platforms. So yeah, I feel like they're really hinting at what the next decade is going to bring. Yeah. If you're a tech company that doesn't have a press release that mentions AI, (laughs) are you even a tech company? I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So next, this is a topic that Kayla and I are Maybe a little <laughs> obsessed with, actually. Uh, it's something we've been watching for a few years now, but um, it's it's 15-minute delivery apps, which were all the rage all the way back in, what was it, 2022, I think, um, or 2021 even. Um, 2021, like, you know, the, yeah, they're old now. They're over two years old. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very much like a fashion trend at this point, but they were everywhere, especially in major cities like New York, Boston, Chicago. Uh, and so there's there was a couple, well, there's a few players actually at the b- very beginning that have been slowly just, um, you know, falling by the wayside. And so the last one really standing has been Getir, but now it's kind of trying to, it looks like maybe establishing itself as, you know, the player that kind of came out on top for whatever market is left for this type of, you know, grocery shopping, I guess. Yeah. So the news that came out this week is that the Financial Times reports that Gatier is reportedly in talks to acquire Flink, which, as our amazing uh, audio producer said when we were talking, that sounds like a fake headline out of like Succession or something like that. Gatier to acquire Flink. But Flink, which is a company I didn't really know much about, um, it's a German quick delivery um, platform. It's raised um, a fair amount of money. Uh, and supposedly it was doing pretty well. Like it, it, it gave some headlines a couple of months ago that said it had a path to profitability. We'll talk about this a little bit later. It had a fair amount of revenue coming in. Clearly it was trying to raise, raise money from investors. Maybe that's not working, but anyway, Gatier has, is in talks to acquire it is, is what the news is. And this would be the latest, very big acquisition from Gatier. Um, because it had acquired um, somewhat recently Gorillas uh, for over a billion dollars, I'm pretty sure. Gorillas was the one that was becoming pretty ubiquitous in New York City, um, but was also, same as Flink, um, German-based. And so Gatier clearly has its eyes on these German quick delivery startups. Yeah, the concept, you know, very European, um, very much reliant on these condensed populated areas. Uh, And I do remember, I won't say who, but one of them did tell me that it's very scalable to the suburbs. I'm not really sure how in the US, Um, but clearly two years later, that's not really the case. Um, But, you know, I think we should maybe talk a little bit about the, just how big the valuations 
got during the height of uh, these launches, uh, at least here in the U.S., because, you know, some of them were a little bit older and were operating overseas before this. I think Flink as a company, which, again, I didn't know uh, much about, but it raised in late 2021 $750 million, uh, and that got it a $2.1 billion valuation. And mind you, you know, I I'm, I'm, don't have the numbers in front of me, but the ones that were based in the U.S. also had pretty insane. I'm pretty sure GoPuff for a while had over a billion-dollar valuation. Right, Gabby? Yeah. Uh, GoPuff, uh, I think Joker also was uh, just... Yeah, raising money, a lot of, I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions. Yeah, and we should also point to the ones that, you know, we're talk. we've mentioned how Gatir is buying some, but there were some that just completely died. Like, they didn't get bought, they just went bankrupt and liquidated. And so there's Joker, Fridge No More, Boik, is that how you say it? Bike? Bike, bike. Um, bike. Yeah, that one, that one kind of um, suffered, I think, from, it's, Russia-based and, you know, at the onset of the war. Yeah, so there's a a couple of different factors, but they all really very quickly, um, yeah, just pulled out of the U.S. market. I'm fascinated with this overall space, first, because it seems like a very American convenience, if you ask me. I, I, I lived in France for a year, and if I were told there was a service that would get me something delivered in less than 15 minutes, I would laugh in your face. Everything takes very long. Europeans love waiting in lines. Um, uh, and so the fact that the nexus point of this of this movement has been Europe, I find ultimately very fascinating. And also the fact that they all tried to expand to the U.S. with uh, the exception of GoPuff, which is a U.S. company, um, and pretty much failed, like are not doing very well. I It just shows that this has been a weird anomaly of a market and... The big question that I've always had, and we can get into this later, but is there actually demand? Do you actually need something delivered in less than 15 minutes? Or or do you need it consistently delivered in less than 15 minutes? Maybe one thing, but I don't know. That's the, I I think it's a, it's a luxury without an actual use case. Right. Especially, um, I think it also maybe suffers from the Everybody returning to in-store shopping, which a lot of analysts say is the reason e-commerce in general is really slowing down. And so with this, it's kind of like the lowest hanging fruit, right? I think most people can just, uh, especially living in walkable cities, can get these products uh, within 15 minutes anyway. Although they did make a case for uh, unique assortments. They were working with a lot of cool startup brands for a while. Um, But yeah, GoPuff really seems to be the last big one standing, at least in the U.S., um, but they are also kind of seems like they're shrinking a little bit, right? At least uh, from a physical footprint point of view. Yeah, uh, I was doing some research because the big question was, what's going on at GoPuff? I haven't heard very much about them recently. Uh, a couple of months ago, uh, GoPuff laid off 2% of its workforce. Um also, it seems like GoPuff is facing somewhat of a delivery worker shortage. The One of the most recent headlines was about a partnership with Uber, which some thought was kind of surprising about sharing the resources so that people can get things delivered. Um, and this was a company that a year or two ago would get headlines every week about new expansions. I don't know, about new money raised. It, it had so much fanfare and was growing so quickly. And now you hardly hear it peep about what's going on. So it does make me wonder ooh, how things are going over there. 
you know, I think I, I do remember this being an issue for them uh, a couple, even when they really were growing, which was um, merchandise and delivery workers, right? I mean, those are the two big things you really need. So anytime there is a shortage, it's kind of like, what do you do? And I th- I do remember that headline about them having to use Instacart just to uh, refill a lot of the products. Yeah, exactly. And so it makes you wonder, you know, Gutierrez buying all of these European-based startups, what makes you wonder, is there going to be more consolidation in this space? And if there is going to be more consolidation, who are the companies that are going to consolidate? And I don't know, but something to think about as time goes on. Well, next up, a lot um, a lot of pivots today, but, you know, we love it. <laughs> uh, I want to talk a little bit about Peloton, uh, which says it's relaunching its brand. So that that was a little scary reading it at first sight. I was like, what does that mean? And then, you know, you read about it and it makes a little bit more sense, which is that there is this now focus on digital fi- digital offerings and memberships, which I feel like quietly has been really in the last year or so because their hardware sales slowed down, obviously, with people going back to gyms and whatnot. Um, and so with this, it sounds like it's really the only fast-growing area that they do have. Yeah, no, I, good for them for calling it a relaunch, I guess. But <laughs> also, I think Peloton has been talking about its digital subscriptions for a little bit now. I remember when it opened up the app so that you could just have the app and pay whatever, $10, $15 a month and use that. And that got a bit of fanfare. And so it seems like it's smart that they're calling this a relaunch because they want to jumpstart their business. But also, this is the writing has been on the wall that this is their path to growth for a little bit now. Yeah. Um, so some of the numbers is uh, from just this past quarter, because they did release earnings this week, uh, was that the subscription revenue surpassed hardware, which you know is bikes uh, and treadmills, by thirty million last wow. quarter and a hundred million this quarter. So it's almost tripled in size. You know, I think that kind of just shows how maybe in demand the actual fitness app is, which is really interesting to me because it kind of felt like everybody had a fitness app at one point. But does Peloton have, I guess, that cachet that maybe is bringing in more people who? aren't necessarily interested in buying a $2,000 bike, but do you want to train with the, you know, Peloton trainers, I guess? Yeah, I would say Peloton did some things smart at the beginning where you mentioned the Peloton trainers. There were Peloton trainers that became quote unquote influencers or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's like, is it Cody Rigsby? Yes. (laughs) Yes, an icon now. People like... Yeah, an icon. People (laughs) knew his name. He was associated with Peloton. That kind of thing was smart because, yes, you can buy a Peloton, but then also you can do a workout with this influencer personality. And I remember a couple of years ago when when the app came out that you could just use. And like even I used it. It was a smart way to have people uncouple the idea that you have to buy a $2,000 bike and can also do these workouts in, in another way. And so I think Peloton, compared to the other hardware fitness players, has laid the groundwork a lot better. But, um, you know, it's still it's still a difficult business out there. Yeah, why don't we talk a little bit about the uh, what they're calling unaided awareness? Uh, so, again, they're saying that the non-bike products are at five percent, and Row, their 
row product is at 4%. Guide, which is a camera-based uh, strength training product, is at 1%. So yeah, just goes and, well, and the first one is the app. So like the app is, which they're calling the most promising non-bike product. And so it shows that that's still really low, that there's like a lot to go. But like the app is what's clearly driving any non-bikes growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And lastly, um, of course, as always, we love a trend. This does come uh, very, very shortly after Mirror also uh, said it's releasing a digital-only subscription, so you don't need the actual Mirror uh, to work out, I guess, um, which I'm not really sure why you would get that, but here we are. Um, and that, you know, I think that one is very contentious, at least to me, because Lululemon, Lululemon famously paid $500 million for this yeah. digital workout mirror, and now it's basically threatening to sell it off by the summer, maybe? Yeah, I mean... It's wild that none of these executives considered what would happen when an economic downturn occurs. Like, if you're selling really, really expensive fitness equipment, it's difficult to continue growth. I, I don't know. We were in unprecedented times. People were at home. There were a lot of things going out. It, it's, you know, all of these companies are trying to pivot and become more digital companies, more subscription-based companies. But still there are only so many people who can afford these types of products and there's only so much growth they can hit. And so it seems like we're at a real inflection point for a lot of these companies. And yeah, I think you're totally right that it's wild that Lululemon paid $500 million for this company and now suddenly is like, oh no, I guess we have to sell it now. Right. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we're talking about Lululemon. They can basically grow anything. So I think yeah. it's very telling but um actually the other day a friend said that a lot of what we're seeing right now feels very much um the result of emotional decisions <laughs> made on the fly uh right when these companies were exploding which in hindsight makes sense but like you said i think when we were in it 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 did feel like this was going to be the way everybody works out forever well i think that i think so many business decisions are emotional decisions that they try to back up with numbers and i think this is a great example of that where if something is doing amazingly some subset of an industry is doing amazingly that doesn't mean it'll do amazingly forever and maybe you should look at the economic factors at play um and the cultural factors at play um and there were a confluence of things that made hardware at home fitness hardware completely go crazy into 2020 and so I don't know. It is interesting that there were so many pretty expensive decisions made that now are not uh, reaping reaping as good of benefits as as I'm sure these executives thought. All right. Well, that's our show this week. Uh, you can rate and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you're listening. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Modern Retail Podcast to hear interviews with industry leaders every Thursday. Hosted by Kale. Uh, Kale, do you want to give us uh, a preview about of who you have next week? Sure. I talk with uh, the founder of, or the co-founder, I should say, of the air conditioner company, Windmill. And we talk about all things air conditioning. Yes. Disrupting AC. Let's go. Uh, and <laughs> of course, come back Saturdays for the Modern Retail Rundown. Thank you for listening. Thank you.